0: Three years now, we have been hosting this during the month of October. Every October for the last three years, we've said, let's go back and look at Sunday school stories, if you want to call them that. But they're more than a Sunday school story. And what we've realized is just seeing just all the new people who have come in, so many people don't know Bible stories. And so when we're preaching other messages and we're talking about when David went to face Goliath or when Daniel was in the lion's den and he wouldn't bow down to the golden idol, a lot of people are like, what? I don't know that. So we're making it our mission every year that we're going to present biblical Bible stories to you because here's what we want to bring out. We want to bring out that their story can become your story that you can see the fact that their God is still the same God that wants to be your God today. And that's what we're going to do. And I want to begin tonight by asking you a question. Have you ever felt unqualified, overlooked, underpaid, and unappreciated? Anyone with me on that? Somewhere along, who's who's four for four on that? We're, we're, We're there somewhere. In other words, we're feeling not up to the level of perhaps someone or something else. Well, if that's you, and that seemed to be everyone here tonight, I've got good news for you. This story is for you. This story is for you tonight. And I want to talk again about David. David is the center of our subject. Dad's going to be talking about David on Sunday, the sin, how he sinned with Bathsheba, and just how important in our lives just to understand the hand of God, because it's great to be a giant slayer, but giant slayers are going to come up against problems in their life. And we need to know how to handle those problems and what we need to do with those. So our central character again tonight is David. But tonight we're going to take one step back. Say with me, one step back. We're going to step back from the giant killer and we're going to see him as the shepherd boy who was anointed King. Tonight we're going to talk about the choice. The choice. God's choice in the life of David. So we're going to pick up the story at 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, it's on the screen. I encourage you to bring notes, take notes. We're going to talk about things that I believe are going to be life lessons and truths that you need to have in your life. First Samuel 16:1 says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to maul? Mourn rather for Saul, seeing I have rejected him as reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go, for I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king amongst his or among his sons. In other words, what did we read there? God is telling his prophet Samuel, man has had his choice. Man chose Saul, they wanted Saul, the man head and shoulders above every other man. That's who we want. It didn't go well. Why? Because man's choice never goes well. Man's choice never goes well. So God is now saying, it's my turn. Here's my choice. I want you to go because I have provided myself. I love one translation. says, I have seen my king. God said, I have seen what I am looking for in my next king. So we're going to work through this story and stopping as we go along. So please take notes of the truths and the points and the life lessons that we're going to learn. So point number one, truth number one, life lesson number one. And that is this. God is not looking at the palace. God is not looking at the palace. Now, for the next king, that would be the place I think we should go. Isn't that what the world would say? Well, if you want a king, go to the palace because you find a king and you find his son who was the heir. The heir in this case should have been Jonathan. He was the firstborn son of Saul. But God did not just reject Saul. He rejected the lineage of Saul and he was looking for a new man. But God was ready to visit Bethlehem. A place that He would later visit for the second time. Why? Because here's what we've got to realize. Looking at a palace can get us in trouble if we don't watch. I'm talking about the birth of Christ. Remember the birth of Christ. That was the second visit Jesus had to Bethlehem. And when he went there, he sent an angel to give the announcement. We know the Christmas story, how Jesus was born in Bethlehem, how God set it all up for him to be there and to be born in a stable, fulfilling prophecy and fulfilling scriptures. But the end of the story, the Christmas story, we read about three wise men. They saw a star in the east. And what was their proclamation? We have come afar. We have come to worship Him, They were looking for a king. So where did they go? They went to the palace. Isn't that the natural choice? They are going to the palace. But there's no king. Herod is perplexed. He's like, what are you talking about? There was a stir that was created in his kingdom. Herod called all his wise men, his scribes. He said to them, what are they talking about? They dug through the books. They dug through prophecy and they found something and they said, Herod, we see something that says that a prophet speak that a king would come from Judah in Bethlehem. So now Herod has a plan. Herod's plan is I'm going to recruit the wise men. He turns to them and he says, go and find out where this king is. You do what you need to do, but you come back because I want to come and worship him. No, he didn't. He wanted to kill him. He wanted to destroy him because that's what kings of that day would do. They would annihilate. They would take out anyone who was a threat to their kingship. And they would destroy them and wipe them out. And listen to me because I'm going somewhere with this. I thought this was about David. It is. It's God's choice. We're going somewhere. Look what it says in Matthew 2 verse 9. It says, when they heard the king, this is in reference to the wise men. When they heard the words of Herod, go and find where he is, come back so I can worship him. When they heard those words, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Was It rested right over Jesus, the manger, the stable, right where Jesus was. I like how New Living Translation says that. Are you ready? It says, once again, the star appeared to them, guiding them. You see, the star took them originally to the region of where they needed to be, but it didn't take them to the specific place. So in their thinking, well, it has to be the palace, but they were wrong. So many times in our life, I believe we can find ourselves in the wrong place and even get to the place in our lives where we've convinced ourselves that God has even left us and forsaken us. And you know why I believe we get to that wrong place? Are you ready for it? Come on, are you ready? Are you ready? Look at this statement. We mistake blessing for position. We mistake blessing for position. Let me explain that. In this church, we see so many people who come in in a broken state. We see people who come in, whether it's been drugs, alcohol, whether it's just sin, it's just life. It's life is tough. We see people come in broken, but what happens? They meet a saviour. They give their lives to Christ. As a result of giving their lives to Christ, they see restoration begin to take place because Jesus is in the transforming business. So what was once broken and destitute and destroyed now is alive. It's well. It's whole. It's praising God. It's different. It looks different. It sounds different. It is different. It has a heart. It has a reach. Come on, you know, because that's your story. Somewhere along, God has changed your life. So what does God do? God blesses them. But so many times we lose sight of the blesser in the blessing. So many times we lose sight of the blesser, God, in the blessings that He gives, and we equate Him as the blessings instead of finding the position of who He really needs to be In our life. So, what do we do? We end up chasing the blessings instead of maintaining our position in Christ. What do I mean by that? I've seen so many people when they come in and God begins to bless their life, one of the first things that goes in their life is their relationship with God. Come on, let's just be honest. Their relationship with God suffers. It loses out. Why? Because they stand up and say, God gave me a job. But they're not in church anymore because the job's taken them out. They get so caught up with this and that and they're so busy with everything else that you see them in church. Less and less and less. Why? Because they're in the palace looking for God's choice where God's choice is not in the palace. That's man's choice and man had his way and that's not the answer. And God says, I have another answer. Your choice, your life, your blessing is not in the blessings. It's in the position of finding yourself right with Christ, in right standing with God. It's the right relationship. Look at this scripture, Galatians 5 verse 1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled, what? Again. Do not be entangled again with or in the yoke of bondage. Say with me again. What is it painting a picture of someone who's been set free and changed, but yet again they find themselves, what, entangled, ensnared by the wrong things. Again, New Living Translation says these words, So Christ has truly set us free. Free. Notice that's a period. There's no question mark right there. It's not, did Christ set you free? He has set you free because of whom the Son sets free, the Bible says, is free indeed. There's freedom that comes when we give our lives to Christ. But notice what it says. But make sure what? You see, the freedom is real, but the challenge and the warning and the test for us is this. Make sure that you stay free. And there's only one way you stay free. It's not following the blessings. It's finding the blesser. It's not in the blessings, but in your position in Christ Jesus. Don't get tied up again in slavery of the law. Listen to the Message Bible. It says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand and never again... Let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. God's not looking where? He's not looking in the palace. Jesus wasn't born where? In the palace. But you know where God's looking? Amongst some sheep. Come on, He's looking in the mundane, everyday life that we are living to see if we'll be faithful or not, because it's not like, look at me, God, I'm doing all these things. You know, those things don't impress God. What impresses Him is where are you at? Are you in position? Are you where God wants you to be? Point number two, are you ready? Life lesson number two. Truth number two. God cannot anoint and appoint pride. God cannot anoint and he cannot appoint pride. And he not only can he not, he will not anoint those things. I, I began to think about pride. And here's my definition of pride. Are you ready? Pride is sin packaged in self. If you can go to the next slide. There it is. Pride is sin packaged packaged in self. What do I mean by that? Pride is when we get so full of ourselves that I don't need help. I can do it on my own. Moving ourselves out of position because now we're living in the blessing of God that we've lost sight of the blesser who wants to touch our lives. So instead of of us giving God credit for everything, we're taking the credit for everything. Look at me. Look what I do. Look what I've done. Look what I've made for myself. Look at the job I've got for myself. I'm telling you, if you start taking the credit for everything, why is it that you take the credit for the good and you blame God for the bad? What's up with that? If you're going to take the credit for the things of your life, then you've got to own up to the failures of your life too because that's a result of the things of the pride of your life. Uh, My testimony tonight is plain and simply this. Are you ready? I am who I am by the grace of God it's only by god it's not by me paul said it this way in second corinthians 12 verse 7 he said unless i should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations you see all that stuff that god told paul all the things that he wrote down in his epistles, which is just a big name for a letter that he wrote. See all that things that God gave him. Paul says, lest I should be exalted. I don't want pride to enter into my heart because God chose to use me as a vessel. And he says, as a result, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest what again I exalt myself above It's very interesting that no one has ever been able to determine and to distinguish and put their finger exactly what the thorn in his flesh was. And I think the reason is because that's not important. If it was important, God would have said, the thorn in your flesh, which is. But the importance is not what was in his flesh. What is important is the example that makes to every one of us. Why? Because Satan is out to get you in any way, shape or form he possibly can. What he uses against you today, he may not use against you tomorrow. And so on, because he's looking each and every day to to Deceive you, to tempt you, and to take you down. But God say with me, but God. But God uses those things. Please understand, God permits those things, He does not author those things. He allows those things to happen in our lives. For what reason? To keep us humbled before Him. Because God cannot use pride. He can only use a man on His face. And a man on His face cannot fall from that position. We need to be reminded by circumstances and situations all around us that we are in a constant state, 24-7. We need Him. We need Him. If you think you can make it without Him, I'm telling you right now, that's your experience and you're disillusional. You're delusional. You're you're messed up. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're screwed up, if that's you. you, I just want you to know, love you, but you are messed up. You're messed up. Because I'm not ashamed right now to go on the record before everyone else and say, I cannot make it and don't want to make it one second without God in my life. God has seen his king, he said. But where? 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 Not where man chooses from because man wants to promote talent. But God is looking for heart. God is looking for character. Because I'm telling you right now, talent alone is never sustainable. Look around you right now. Turn on the TV. All these sports stars, greatest talents, and a liability now as they're being tested for drugs and they've been banned, and now teens don't want them because they're alive. They can be the best in the world, but now people are beginning to realize you need more than just talent. And God has always said that you've got to have, and everything you are has to come from your heart, it has to come from a godly character that's inside of you. So here's the prophet Samuel, he's crying. He's thinking it's all over. God's come to him and say, buck up. It's not over yet. Fill your horn with oil. Come on, I've still got a mission. I've still got a plan. Man may be messed up, but I've still got the last say in all this situation. Come on, it's not over yet, God told him. It's just the beginning, but we're going to do it right this time. Miss May, I just want you to know something. It's not over. God's just getting ready to do it right this time. Come on, Courtney and Travis. It's not over. Come on, buck up. Wake up. Realize that God's about to begin something new and he wants to do it right now this time. Come on, right now. Come on, Katrina and Rick. It's not over. God's just getting ready to begin something new inside of each and every one of our lives. How do I know that? Because God is still looking for His King. He's still looking. Not because He hasn't found. He's already found. But He's still looking because God doesn't will that any should perish but that all should have everlasting life and he is still out looking today to appoint his choice. So where are we? Where were we? We're at verse 1. Come on, we're moving along well. Say, we're moving along very well. Very, very well. We just want to get down to verse like 95 or something. So we're at verse 1. Verse 2, and it says this, And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So what do we see? God's not looking in a palace and God cannot anoint or appoint pride. Here's the third thing that you've got to realize is this. We've got to realize we've got to fear God and not man. We've got to have a fear of God and not a fear of man. Too often we consume ourselves with the desire and the design to please other people. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to upset everyone. We want to be politically correct. We want to do everything right and in order. Can I help you out right now? Can I just go on record by saying this? The gospel is offensive. The, the symbol of the gospel itself is a bloody cross. That in itself is not a great picture of, wow, I love that. We've decorated it nice and we've made it look pretty and nice and it's something that we wear. But the symbol really of Christianity is not just a golden, beautiful cross. It's a rugged, bloody cross that our Savior hung upon and died. It's not a pretty picture, but it's still life-changing. And it will still change any life that reaches out to him. But you know what the gospel is? The gospel is in opposition to sin. So anytime we're making a stand against what is wrong, there's opposition. It's offensive to people. People even will say this. Oh, I see how you Christians are. You just want to judge us. No, we're not judging you. We're just living according to the standard of God's word. And if that upsets you and offends you, I'm sorry, I didn't write the book. Come on, people look at you like you're the author of it, that like you thought that up. I didn't write it. I'm just choosing to follow by what God says. There can be offense that comes through speaking and living and sharing the truth. It's not always well received. And it definitely needs to be presented in the right way. I think so many times. we, we went to a football game just a couple of weeks ago, and it was a preseason game for the Saints. And a guy with this, this megaphone was standing up with text and scriptures everywhere, screaming at the women walking past, saying, you whores and you Jezebels. And, and I'm like, man, I, I felt some righteous indignation come up inside of me. I was about to take that megaphone and put that somewhere where it didn't need to go. I, I, I was ready. I was ready, man. And I thought to myself, here I am, a child of God, knowing the truth. If I wasn't living in the truth, how does that paint a picture? I was disgusted by it. And I'm a child. That's not Christianity, by the way. Can I say that again? That's not Christianity. That's not winning people to Christ. That's making enemies. The gospel does make enemies, but it does it in a way not like that. You've got to earn the right to tell people things like that. Because if you want to just go up to someone and say you're going to hell, they're probably going to say to you, you go to. You know what I'm saying. They're going to send you there before you think you're going to get them there. I don't think ever that we should wake up, and, and I pray that you don't. I never wake up and say, today I'm going to intentionally offend someone. But I've realized it's going to happen. As I look at people and say, you're living in sin. As we turn around and call sin what it is, and we say there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, there's some resistance that we're going to see in our lives. But remember this, we always have something better to offer them. We always have something of greater value and greater worth to give to them. But here's what I hear all the time, but pastor, they laugh at me. What if they reject me? What if they demote me? What if I lose my job? What if they unfriend me on social media? That would be a disaster, wouldn't it? What if they beat me? Aren't you glad that we don't have to worry about that? But not too far from here now, People have been beaten and even beheaded for the gospel, for making a stand for Christ. You see, what I've discovered is this. We're living in the wrong fear. We're living in something that God has not given to us. Look what it says, Second Timothy 1 verse 7. It says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, that's the wrong one, sorry, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If God hasn't given you something, then He definitely doesn't intend for you to live in it. And too many people today are living in fear. What will people think? Or what are people going to say? What am I going to do? Oh no, fear, 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 fear. Matthew Matthew 10 verse 28 from the Message Bible says this, Don't be bluffed into silence by the threats of bullies, by man's threats. There's nothing that they can do to your soul, to your core being. Save your fear for God, who holds your entire life, body and soul in His hands. New King James basically says, don't fear what man can do to you. Rather fear God, who can send both body and and soul to hell. I thought you said don't fear, that we're not to fear, that there's no fear in God. Exactly. Because the fear of God that we're talking about is not fear as being afraid of something or someone, because that kind of fear you pull away from. You don't want to warm, you don't have a kid that wants to hug a monster, but they'll hug a princess. But a monster is something they're afraid of, so they'll run back and they'll be afraid of. God doesn't want to be this ogre in the sky that we're afraid of and that we're terrified of. But the fear we're talking about here is in regards to a highest respect, having greatest honor and awe, a wonder that fills our hearts and lives. And Proverbs 9 verse 10 tells us that having that type of fear, a total respect, an honor to God, a fear of displeasing Him in any way. It says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. King James says this, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is taking our knowledge What we know. It's taking our understanding of things around us and it's putting them into proper application. And the fear of man will never produce that. The fear of man will never produce wisdom. In fact, it will go against wisdom because it will make us begin to become and be like the world and not like God. So it will take us away from a wise position and a wise stance in our lives. But it's amazing and it, and it scares me. And, and it, I'm afraid of the fact that there are so many Christians today who lack wisdom. Why? Because they have no fear and respect for the presence of God. They just handle the presence of God like it's nothing. And they don't realize the value it is. They don't have the proper application to their life and that's why Jesus tells us it's because of the wrong fears but Jesus says these words in James 1 verse 5 he says if any one of you lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach I love that thought reproach it doesn't mean it means this he doesn't hold against you the last time Aren't you glad that God doesn't hold against you your last time? Aren't you glad that He's not a God of the second chance? Blew that a long time ago. He's God of another chance and another chance and another chance and He's not holding out against us. And it says, and it will be given to Him. You see, wisdom, godly fear is what's needed in our life to help us make the right choices, to help us to be the right choice that He can use. And it's amazing that even God's prophet Samuel, his mouthpiece, even dealt with fear. But here's the question that I discovered or I thought when I was reading through this. He was afraid and he says, how can I go? The king's going to kill me. He's going to take my life. I'm going to be just like everyone else. I'm going to be destroyed. What can I do? Think about this. Here's the question. What if Samuel had allowed his fear to control the situation? If Samuel would have allowed his fear to control the situation, there would have been no anointing. There would have been no giant killer. And Israel would have been in a state of bondage. So my question tonight is this, what's fear robbing you from? And not only is what's fear robbing you from, but what is the fear of your life robbing other people around you of? Because fear will not just affect you, it will affect those around you too. Verse 3, then God says, if you're afraid, here's what you do. You invite Jesse to, to a sacrifice. And he said, you go and I'll show you what to do. Because you're going to anoint for me the one that I name to you. Verse 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peacefully? Point number 4. Truth number 4. Life lesson number 4. Don't just hear it. You've got to do it. You can't just hear it. You've got to do it. And you know why you can do it? Because God promises, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You know why you can do it? Because God's there with you. We used to sing a song in Sunday school. When Christ's in your vessel, you can smile at the storm. Why can you smile at the storm? Because He's in the boat with you. And what did He say? We're going to go to the other side. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I won't fear because you are with me. You can do it because He promises to never leave us, but He will go there with us stride by stride. Step by step and look what it says in verse 4 again it said and Samuel did what the Lord said it's always easier to do what God wants us to do it's always easier it's not the act itself it's maybe not always easy but when you look back it's always easier in the long run to do why because what he asks is always required The Bible speaks about a wise and foolish man. They have the same house, but they have different foundations. But really that illustration is only used to emphasize this point. And here's the point. Are you ready? The difference between wise and foolish is this. One heard, but one heard and did. You see, the Bible says the foolish heard it only. But the Bible says the wise heard the instruction and chose to follow and do what was required. And guess what? The wise was the one that survived the storm. How do we survive the storms in life? To be obedient and do what God has called us to do. The mother of Jesus, Mary, said to the disciples one day, what did she say? Whatever He says to you, do it. What did he say? Go and fill the water pots with water and then pour them out as wine. What? That's crazy. It wasn't Jesus that was pouring it out. So Jesus wasn't the one who was going to be made the fool of. It was the disciples that day that were putting their life, their name, their reputation on the line. But you know what they did? As they were obedient to do, God miraculously moved in power. And something took place that day, but it didn't just take place that day. It began something from that time forward because that began the earthly what, ministry of Jesus. And what was his ministry from that day forward? It was miraculous signs and wonders that followed him. The death heard the lame walked the blind saw the dead will rise because the miracles that went forth can I just tell you right now if you will do regardless of what you think but you will step out with God it releases the miracle miraculous of power of God against every situation that you face and you can begin to walk into your miracles that you thought were impossibilities if you just trust God, oh, but I'm afraid, what are other people going to think? God's not giving you fear. Don't fear, man, fear God. Don't be a prima donna because God's not anointing and appointing brides, and He's not looking in a palace. Verse five and Samuel said to the people of that town, he said, "Don't freak out. everything's good, because they said, "Are you coming peacefully?" They were afraid. And Samuel said, Peacefully I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse's sons and invited them to the sacrifice. In other words, he gave them VIP passes, front row. They were right there, Jesse and all his boys. Verse 6, And so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Notice the last part of that, before him. There's an exclamation mark. What does that mean? That doesn't mean he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. (laughs) An exclamation means he exclaimed it he proclaimed it so can you imagine everyone's there He sees David wa- I mean he sees Jesse walking in with all of his sons they're lined up in the age order and he goes up to Eliab something comes upon Samuel and he says, "Surely the Lord's anointed is before him he's making a proclamation to everyone. he's shouting out because he sees what he thinks is God's." Choice. He sees what he likes. So, what does he do? He announces what he thinks it should be. Can I just give you something? And that is this man can only announce because God's the only one who can anoint. We're good at announcing and praising and putting accolades on people, but I don't want to be around people that know how to do this and that. I want to be around people that know how to hear from God. I want to be around people who are anointed. I want to be in a church that believes in the anointing of God. I want to be around music that's anointed by God. I want to be around teaching that's anointed with God. Because all man can do is announce. Because God is the one that can anoint. And can you picture, come on, put yourself right there. Everything goes quiet. He's just shouted out and everything just went, you could hear a pin drop, boom. And he held over the horn and no oil flowed. You see what they tell us in those days. There was a horn that they held over and there was a wax seal on the bottom. And when it was God's anointed, when it was God's favor, God would break that seal and the oil would flow. And so here's Samuel. Here's the anointed of God. Here he is and he's holding over the oil and nothing's happening. Can you imagine how he must have felt right then? Here's what I think he probably did. Behold the anointed of God. And he holds it up again. Because he's thinking that God's having a nap or he's snoozing or he's just, he's just missed out on something. He just wants to make sure that he's getting it right. But then there's still nothing. But then God speaks. Look what God says, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? He looks to the character, to the inner part. God looks to the heart. Point number five, life lesson, truth number five. Are you ready? We are all human and we will all make mistakes. I just want you to know that. We're all human and we're going to make mistakes. What have we read just here? Even God's prophet, even God's mouthpiece made a mistake. And I don't say that tonight to excuse our wrong behavior. I'm not saying that to give us a license to sin. Well, Pastor Philip said we're all going to make mistakes, so I just guess I made a mistake. Yeah, we do make mistakes. But remember this, God is always looking at the heart. The mistake Samuel made that day was he thought that was God's choice. He wasn't making a mistake in sin. He was trying to do what he thought God needed him to do. But he was looking at the wrong direction because he was looking outward in and God said, hold on a second, I want to look inwardly out because I have to have character. You see, what I've realized in life is this. So many people have a misconception of God. What do I mean by that? So many people think God's in heaven just waiting for us to mess up. So he can bam! Bam! take us off the face of the yes, show you, I'm the boss. That's not what God wants. That's not a God of love. You could not be further from the truth. Why? Because if you want to know what God is, God is in heaven and He is cheering you on because he wants you to succeed. He wants you to make it. He doesn't want you to be another statistic that's fallen by the wayside. He wants your marriage to be blessed. He wants your children to be saved. He wants your finances to be in order. He wants your health to be right. He wants you to be happy and in peace. He's cheering you on. Look what it says. 1 Corinthians 10:13 says there's no temptation that could be mistakes, that could be wrongdoings, nothing that we do wrong in our life that comes across any opportunity of wrong in our life. Notice what it says. It, none of those things have the power, it says, to overtake you. Accept is common to man. I'm, I'm so glad that was thrown in there because that means all our struggles are the same. We're all going to make mistakes, but remember this. Temptation itself is not the sin. It's when we give in to it, it becomes sin. So God says there's no temptation that has overtaken you except everyone has the same issues and struggles in their life. And, and falling isn't just the sin. A lot of times people say, well, I messed up. Listen, that may be a part of the sin, but the real sin is staying down. You got to pick yourself up and keep going. Come on. Come on why because God hasn't written you off. God has written you in. And what does it say? No temptation has come upon you, but notice this, who will he who who will not allow you? He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are Able. In other words, He's not going to allow anything to take you out of reach of Him. That He's still reachable, He's still touchable, He's still able to meet your every need. You can't escape God by the sin of your life because you're still in the reach of God. But with the temptation, He will make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it, endure it and stand against it. Now there's temptations and there's struggle, but we have a faithful God. Who's in the middle of it all with us, cheering us on, saying, come on, you can make it through this. When you feel like you can't, he says, I've already made the way of escape. I am the way of escape for you that you can make it through. What is God wanting? He's wanting us to learn from our mistakes so we can trust him. And that's a pretty embarrassing mistake that Samuel made. Behold, he's the prophet. Everyone knows he's the one who hears from God. And publicly, he's made a fool of himself. Because there's no oil. And then Samuel says, okay, next. And one by one, Jesse's sons lined up. And if you read the story, he never opens his mouth again. Samuel doesn't say, this is the one, this is the one. He knows now better. He's just holding the oil and he's letting God do the anointing. Amen? But notice what it says in verse 10. He does have to speak again. Because it says, this Jesse had seven of his sons. I've got to finish. It said, seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. If you were paying attention on Sunday, Jesse didn't have seven sons. Jesse had eight sons. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Have you ever felt like you've missed God? That's exactly how Samuel's feeling. He's made a fool of himself and now he's missed God. And everyone's looking at him and he's feeling like this big right now. Verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all your young men here? And Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. You know what God showed me of that? He is close, but not included. There he is. Obviously, they could see him. He's right there. He's so close, there's no reason that he should not be included. But yet, that's how man man can just leave you out. Because they think, oh, they're not... But I'm telling you right now, you're always in view of God. There he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. In other words, the party ain't going to start till he arrives. Verse 12, so he sent him and brought him in. And I love how God records this. God then has, I think, fun with the story. Because Samuel's getting all hung up on the Lord's anointed, the rich and the big and the bold and the hairy and the good-looking and the stature guy and everything. And then God says, and he comes in, and here's a little red-headed, blue-eyed boy. Look what it says. And here he was, a ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking boy. The ruddy refers to his fair skin and his reddish hair. And the Lord said to Samuel, Arise and anoint him, for this is the one. Here's my last point for the night. Point number six, God is ecstatic about you. God is absolutely ecstatic about you. He's not just saying, here's the one. Because if you would read that same verse again, just like Samuel proclaimed it, there's an exclamation mark at the end because God is saying, arise and anoint him for this is the one. God's not ashamed of you. He's proclaiming to the world that you are his choice. Come on, he's not embarrassed of you. The problem is we're embarrassed of him. He's not embarrassed about you. He's not embarrassed. You see, a lot of people preach that Samuel or David was forgotten. Maybe he was forgotten, but you know, God showed me something about that. And I haven't got time to go into it tonight, but maybe he wasn't forgotten. Maybe just the responsibilities he had meant that he could not be included. Because I think the real story is this it wasn't that he was forgotten. It was just that he was unexpected. What do I mean by that? They never even thought that he would be the one that would be the king. And God's not ashamed of you. Verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. The oil flowed in the midst of all his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Come on. God's not only ecstatic about you, but he wants his Holy Spirit to desire He desires His Holy Spirit to dwell upon you and within your life. Why? Because you're God's choice, not man's. So what have we learned today? His story can be our story. Quit finding God or trying to find God in the blessing. You find God in the position of positioning your life in the right place. God cannot anoint pride. He won't. He cannot use those things. But I'm telling you right now, if we fear the right thing, God, if we don't just hear it but we do it, if we realize we're all human and we're going to make mistakes but it's not falling, it's getting back up and realize that God is just as excited about you today as He has ever been. He's not displeased with you. You haven't disappointed Him. God is still your number one cheerleader cheering you on. Why? Because you're His choice. That's not just David's story. That's my story. Would you stand to your feet tonight? Precious Jesus, precious Jesus, precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. God, I just thank you tonight. I thank you tonight that God, the story that we've heard, the story that we've been a part of tonight. God, I thank you. It's a story of life and a story of truth. But God, I thank you also. It's our story. And God, I pray that each and every one of us would realize tonight. God, that we're your choice. And we're not just a second choice. We're not just an afterthought. God, we're your first choice. Because God, you have handpicked every one of us for service. But God, what's our responsibility right now is to be used. It's to say, God, here I am. Would you use me? I wonder how many people right now would lift up their hand and say, Pastor, that, that's what I want to say today when God is saying, I want to choose you. Would you respond and say, God, here I am. Would you use me? Who wants to lift up their hands all over this place? God, here I am. Use me. As you keep that hand up right now, who will start waving it around and say to me, just hold the thought, but who will start waving it around and say, I'm not my choice. Come on, I've messed up and I've failed God so many times. Come on, who's waving that hand around? But God still wants to use me right now. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? God, I'm so thankful tonight that you want to use me. God, I'm so thankful tonight that you want to change me, that God, you want to help me, that you want to give strength to my life. And God, even though I get it wrong many times, God, I thank you that your grace and mercy is still sufficient for me, that God, your reach is never beyond me, that God, I'm never out of reach from you, God, that I can always come back, God, because even if there's whatever the distance may be, God, you're just one step away every moment. Because as I turn to come back to you, bam, you're right there. Because, God, you are waiting. You are waiting. You are waiting. And, God, I pray tonight that we wouldn't just follow the blessing. We would not look to you just for what you can do for us. But, God, we would realize tonight that, God, what you've called us to is a life of service. And it's not what you can do for us. God, our cry is, what can we do for you? How can we serve you? How can we live for you? How can we honor you with our lives? And we pray we can do that. Come on. Would you say amen to that right now? Just keep your head bowed. Is there anyone here tonight that just would say, I'm still struggling with that, Pastor. I just can't see how I can be his choice because if you only knew what I've done. Hey, he not only knows everything you've done, he still chooses to love you. He still chooses to love you in all of that. And that's the God that we have. That's the one who's looking for his king. That's the one who's looking for his queen. That's the one who's looking for his person right now to choose. Because he said, I've provided for myself a king. You're his provision, you're what he's seen. And will you respond to that? Is there anyone here tonight that needs to give their life to Christ, rededicate their life? Is there anyone that would lift up their hand and say, Pastor, that's me? I need to make it right with God. Is there anyone? Is there anyone? anyone. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness and mercies. And God, just help us as we leave tonight. Just bless us. Just go before us and undertake for us. And God, we're looking forward to everything you're still doing, God, in this house and what you're going to continue to do. God, continue to bless people. Come on, God. Give them favor, God, in their homes. Give them favor in the community. Give them favor with insurance companies, contractors. Give them favor in their workplaces and everything. Why? Because we're your choice. We're your kid. We're the one that you've handpicked. And God, we thank you that, God, the favor and the blessing is upon our lives, not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. Because we're your choice. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give someone a hug around you and tell them, I love you. I love you. You're awesome. Amen.